Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Galatians, if you are reading through the Bible with us, you're going to be reading Galatians this week. And hopefully, some of these smaller books, it'll let you catch up if some of y'all are still stuck in Isaiah back, uh, back there. You can't get out of Isaiah. You got to put it in four-wheel drive and get out of there. But I hope you're reading through the Bible with us. The churches at Galatia were formed on Paul's first missionary journey. And they're all so close together that he addresses them all together. Probably the churches in Iconium, Antioch, Lystra, and Derby in the southern part of the large Roman province called Galatia. Some characteristics about this book I want you to remember. First of all, it's unusually severe. Not one word of praise or thanksgiving to the churches. I mean, it's pretty much in your face. It's done more than any other New Testament book to emancipate Christians or free Christians from Judaism and Roman Catholicism and ritualism and all other forms of externalism, stuff that you do outside to try to make you get to heaven. It provides the answer to many of the modern cults which propose a mixture of the Old Testament and the New Testament trying to come up with a new brand of Christianity. It also emphasizes the inward and spiritual nature of the Christian walk. Not all the external stuff we do, but the inside and and the Holy Spirit. It presents the gospel. It even has the fruits of the Spirit. It presents the gospel as entirely free from the law. It's by grace. It's the strongest defense of the justification by faith. It's also called the epistle, or excuse me, the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. It's Paul's manifesto of justification by faith, which results in liberty. And my prayer is that some of you who are in bondage can be set free. Because Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what do we mean by that? Well, I entitled this the bad news gospel. That's really an oxymoron because the word gospel means good news. But the the gospel that's presented here or mentioned, which isn't really the gospel, but that term is used, is really bad news. I want to read in verse chapter 1, verse 6. I marvel, I'm astonished, I'm shocked, is what he's saying, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, Let him be accursed. Anathema is the Greek word. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Some of you are old enough to remember Irma Bombeck. 
who had a very creative way of writing things. It was fun to read her stuff because of the way that she worded and phrased her writings. Well, she tells the story, a true story, of attending church one Sunday morning and seeing a young child who was struggling to sit still, to keep the proper church etiquette. He was squirming, he was humming, he was turning around in the pew, and he turned around and he was smiling at everybody. Well, with a, a voice, a coarse whisper, loud enough for most of that little church to hear, mom jerked him down and, and said, uh, stop that grinning. And then she gave him a spank on the bottom as tears rolled down his cheeks. Well, Bombeck said she would not advocate misbehavior in church, but she wanted to hug that tear-stained child and tell him about a God who is happy and is smiling. And she said, quote, my God has a sense of humor big enough to have created someone like me. And she wanted to say to the mother, you're sitting next to hope and light and joy without even noticing. If you can't smile at church... Where else can you go? And if you can't find grace in the church, where else will you find it? Unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who are so concerned about avoiding hell that they forget that Jesus promised an abundant life as we journey toward heaven. Now, the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul addresses one of the most controversial subjects in the Christian faith. And you think, well, what, what is that? Well, most people in the Christian faith realize that salvation comes from God's divine grace and we respond to the gospel. But where the fights come from is what, how do you live once you have been saved? Are there a bunch of rules to keep? Can you do anything you want? And that's where the fights begin. Paul led these people to Christ, helped establish his church, and then in verse six, he said, I marvel that you're turning away so soon. Now, this word marvel was used by Greek writers to, to express a surprise, especially of something that was quite unacceptable. Lawyers, politicians use it to attack things done by the opposing parties. And Paul is expressing complete and utter surprise. He views it something as reprehensible. I can't believe you're doing this, is the way he's writing this. So what are they doing? Paul's first of astounded by their defection from grace. Occasionally you hear of somebody who defects to another country. They leave their country and go to another country and he's, asto he's astonished that it hasn't been that long since he's been there and taught them about the grace of Christ and many of them responded to the grace of Christ and he said, and I'm just amazed that you've turned so quickly back to legalism. The word turning or turning away or deserting, it's a military term, refers to a traitor. One who leaves the army of his own country and goes to work for the enemy. In this case, it means leaving the gospel of grace and going to the gospel of works. That's happening today. 
Now I want to show you something. I'm reading from a New King James translation of the Bible. And the word different in verse 6 to a different gospel. And then the first phrase in verse 7 which says, which is not another. Now, there are two words for different in the New Testament. One of them is different Heteros is the name, is the word. We get our word heterosexual, which means that when compared to something else, it's completely different. Heterosexual is drawn to the gender that's completely different from them. Another of a different kind. Then there's the word alos, A-L-L-O-S, which is another of the same kind. I've got an orange here. This is another orange, but it's an orange. It's the same thing, same kind. Now, you've got these two words, and Paul is saying this in verse 6. I marvel that you're turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is completely foreign to the gospel I've told you which is not another, which means it's not another of the same kind of gospel I told you. It's completely foreign, completely different. Are you with me? This gospel is really no gospel at all in verse six. It's man-centered. It attempts to attain salvation by works. Sin has a grip on us that we can never free ourselves from. You can come to church, you can be baptized, you can be a good person, but you cannot free yourself from the grip of sin except by dying. So somebody died for us, Jesus Christ. Grace teaches us that there's nothing that we can do to merit our salvation. We're doomed unless Christ rescues us. That's what grace is. Now, there's two extremes in this salvation argument. After you've been saved is what I'm talking about. How do you live your life? How do you live once you've accepted Christ and been saved? How do you live? Well, one extreme is all rules, legalism. They keep rules to stay saved, basically. Now, these folks are common. There's a lot of us. In fact, some of us are recovering Pharisees. We've all all put this on there. We have. I can remember. Man, when I was little, you know, if, if you weren't there every time the dirt church doors were open, you weren't saved. Well, now we've changed a lot of things, haven't we? Paul started preaching the gospel and Gentiles started coming to Christ and legalism reared its ugly head. Listen to Acts chapter 15. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch, that's in Galatia, and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. These Gentiles were being saved and some of the Jews had been saved said, okay, and until you're a good Jewish person and you follow all of our customs and traditions, then you can follow Jesus. 
But folks, Jesus plus anything is wrong. It's just Jesus by grace. Legalism teaches that it's Jesus plus good works equals salvation. The problem is that you trying to live by the law, you never can measure up to it. I have been known, people who've ridden with me know that I drive at least the speed limit. That's the beginning place for me. I don't like riding in a car. I want to get where I'm going. So as a result of that, I have met some of Texas' finest officers. I have. They've all been nice. I remember one time, I'd been driving a long, a long way, about eight hours already. And so the closer I got, the heavier my foot got. I got caught, officer, and here's what I said to the officer. True story. I said, officer, I've been driving for eight hours, and I promise you, for the last seven hours and 45 minutes, I was driving the speed limit. <laughs> and I just messed up. Well, guess what? I still got a ticket. And I deserved it because I was guilty. You see, you can't just keep part of it or, or missing a part of it. That's, what the, that's the problem with legalism. And we're all guilty. A legalist isn't just someone who believes they must keep the rules to be saved. They believe you've got to keep the rules to stay saved. And they use Galatians to talk about falling from grace. But that's not, doesn't mean you fall from your salvation. It means you fall from the doctrine of salvation by grace and go back to legalism. That's what Galatians is about. Amen. Most legalists are believers who believe they live a certain way for God to keep them saved or to make God love them more. All rules, and we all make them. You got to do this and you got to do that. Now, the other extreme is no rules or hedonism, which means living with no boundaries. Hey, I'm under grace. I'm saved. I'm under grace. I can live like I want to. It goes back as far as humans on earth go. 4,200 years ago, this poem was written by an Egyptian. It's called Egyptian Hedonism. Follow your desire as long as you shall live. Fulfill your needs upon earth after the command of your heart. Behold, it is not given to man to take his property with him. Behold, there is not one who departs and who comes back again. Let me translate that, translate that into American. It means you only live once, you go around once, grab all the gusto you can. But there's a great example by the name of Solomon who'll tell you otherwise. He'll say, you know, Solomon started off well. He asked God for the wisdom to rule well. And Solomon married way too many wives who were pagans. And they turned his heart away from God. And, the, and when he's old and he's still kind of bitter, he writes Ecclesiastes in his 12 chapters. And in the first 11 chapters, he tells everything that he's done. He had the money and the availability and the health. He, had a, he could do anything he wanted and he did it. Then it's, at the end, he comes back and he says, you need to remember your creator in the days of your youth. 
But in chapter two of Ecclesiastes, listen to what he said. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Salvation by grace is how we're saved. Christianity is the only faith on earth that guarantees salvation to its followers. I'm gonna say that again. Christianity is the only faith on earth the major of the major religions that guarantees salvation to its followers. If you're a Hindu, you believe that salvation is attained through transmigration of the soul, reincarnation. But what if you keep being reincarnated in the wrong direction? Or what if the earth comes to an end in the middle of your transmigration? Are you going to just be a soul without a body floating in the universe? It's sort of like a soul lottery. If you're a Buddhist, you believe if you do everything right, think right, talk right, act right, then you can attain karma. But you actually are judged more by your motives than your actions. So what if you die before you purify your motives? Muslims are in the same boat of insecurity. They teach if you faithfully observe the five pillars of Islam, you'll be judged worthy. But nobody is ever certain they are good enough to please the great and mighty Allah. They only try harder. Mohammed himself wrote, and I quote him, save yourselves from hell fire as I cannot save you from Allah's punishment, nor do I know what will be done with me or you. But people who come to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ says, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. I've come to show you the Father. I came to die for your sins. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sin. He paid the penalty of sin. He rose again. He conquered death. He took the sting out of it. And when you place your faith and trust in him, you are guaranteed salvation in heaven, but not only in heaven, but now. Only Christians can sing blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We know we're saved now. Isn't it good to know that you're saved? Grace gives us salvation. Grace gives us assurance. Without grace, there's no good news. Paul was astonished at their defection from the gospel the doctrine of grace. He was also astounded by the distortion of the gospel. In verse seven, he said, there are some who trouble you who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. The word trouble means to shake back and forth. It was a term used many times of political agitators, somebody that was just trying to stir up confusion and turmoil. And these Judaizers were coming in and saying, you know, it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus this, and you've got to keep that and this. And folks, we're seeing that today. We're seeing people go back to the Old Testament and say, you know, you've got to keep all of these rituals and all of this stuff. 
You also see a perversion of the gospel. Let me give you a couple of examples. First is the prosperity gospel. The health and wealth guys. These are the guys that'll say, if you'll just send me your money, God's gonna give you more money. And then they laugh all the way to the bank. It's almost as God is seen as a divine vending machine. You just put in a little faith and out pops blessings, money, homes, cars, health. I believe God gives us what we have, but these guys are gonna have a hard time talking to Paul one day because Paul spent most of his ministry in prison. They're gonna have a hard time talking to Timothy. Timothy was a man of many infirmities. God never healed him. Paul didn't heal him. Paul healed other people, didn't heal Timothy. I'm not against what God does. I'm not against blessings. I'm not against the fact that God can heal people. But I don't believe in these health and wealth guys. Because God didn't say, I saved you. And and God didn't say, I only exist to make you healthy and wealthy. Well, Jesus didn't do very good, did he? He wasn't real wealthy. There's also the, what I call the popular gospel or the, maybe we ought to call it the Twitter gospel. Whatever's trending for the day. And somebody's always coming up with something new and people flock to it. And then there's the partial gospel, Christian, Christianity light. It, it's all about feeling good about yourself and it makes no demands on you. It's very appealing to Americans. Don't worry, Christianity delight will never offend you with the truth. Some congregations in the United States are hearing a form of Christianity delight where sin and repentance are seldom mentioned because it might offend the listeners. The Bible isn't really preached. There's just a brief devotional. It's short and sweet, and you're never inconvenienced. They might reference the Bible a couple of times, but there's no verse-by-verse study of the Bible because, frankly, when you go verse-by-verse through the Bible, you get to some stuff that's hard and can be offensive at times. We're supposed to stand strong for the gospel, the real gospel. And let me tell you something, when you do that, I'm warning you now, you're gonna be called narrow-minded or worse. But I'm gonna prove to you that you are, you are, all of you are narrow-minded. I hope I didn't make this problem too hard, but I want, you to, I want you to answer me. What is two plus two? Good, it wasn't too high for y'all, right? Is two plus two ever three? Is two plus two ever five or four and a half? I think you're pretty narrow-minded. But the truth is narrow, isn't it? I like what Herschel Hobbes wrote. He said, no sane person wants a banker who says that two plus two equals three. And we do not want a pharmacist who just throws together any drugs that may suit his fancy. We want him to follow the doctor's prescription exactly. This is true narrow-mindedness. We commend this quality in lesser matters of finances and health, but condemn it in the area of religion. Jesus was pretty narrow-minded. 
He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's pretty narrow-minded, isn't it? He also said, broad, narrow is the way that leads to salvation, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Yeah, I, I get criticized sometimes for preaching through the hard stuff. I, sometimes I do let comments slip that I regret later, not from the Bible, but just my own humanity. But Paul said, don't distort the gospel. It's all about Jesus Christ. They were defecting from the doctrine of the gospel. They were distorting the real gospel. In verse 8, you see the departure from the gospel. These are some of the strongest words in the New Testament. Let him be accursed. If anyone preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. The Greek word anathema, which comes from a Hebrew term, which means devoted to destruction. It basically means to reject something completely and to condemn it to destruction. And Paul declares that anyone, himself included, preaches any other gospel than the gospel of free grace through Jesus Christ should be eternally condemned. That's pretty stout. Let's suppose one Sunday morning we've gathered up here to worship and boom, right here on the platform, an angel appears. The first thing he would have to say is, y'all settle down, don't be afraid. Because that's every time you see one show up in the New Testament, the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. It lets you know it's not one of those little fat cherub angels you've got sitting on a shelf going to show up. <laughs> I mean, if the angel appeared here, everybody's going to be trembling. Well, the first thing they'll say, don't be afraid. But what if, what if they said, People of Southcrest, don't be afraid. I've come from heaven with a message from God. You're the first to hear it. There's a new revelation from God, a new message, a new gospel, and I'm bringing it to you today. How are we supposed to react? You're supposed to say no. I don't know what angel you are, but you're not from God. I really wish, I really wish our Mormon friends would listen to this. I do. Because supposedly an angel appeared to Joseph Smith when he was 13 and gave him the Book of Mormon, basically, which is a whole nother gospel. And here Paul said, you don't even listen to an angel. There's only one gospel. I, I like them. They're we're wonderful people. I don't want to sound critical. I just wish they would see the truth. We're held account accountable for the gospel that we preach. Now, I want to close by giving the details of the gospel. I know you know it, but I kind of want to borrow something from an, an evangelist that lived a long time ago, and I still remember him because I was a kid. His name was Angel Martinez. He had a brother named Homer Martinez, and they were both great preachers. But Angel Martinez got to preaching on the plan of salvation one time, and here's what he said. God thought it, the prophets taught it, the devil fought it, sinners sought it, Jesus bought it, the Holy Spirit wrought it, and I caught it. <laughs> so I want to borrow just four, 
uh, in that flavor, four phrases. First of all, God fought it. Salvation was not an accident. Some man didn't create it. We didn't come up with it on our own. In fact, God sent Jesus to us. God came after us. It was God's idea. The scripture says that Jesus is the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. God knew that we could never save ourselves and why he did not just write us off and condemn us all, I don't know. But he loved us enough that he thought about salvation and he said, somebody's going to have to pay. God is a loving God, but he's a just God and a holy God and somebody has to pay the penalty of sin and the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus came and lived a sinless life and went to the cross willingly and God put on him according to Psalm, excuse me, Isaiah 53, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God thought it. The second thing is Satan fought it. Satan's been fuming ever since the Garden of Eden because he knows he's a defeated foe and he's done everything in his limited power to sidetrack God's plan of salvation. He's tried to destroy the, the, the Jews. He's tried to keep Jesus from making it by having all the baby boys killed. He's, he's done everything he can to stop it. And even today, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age, little g, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. And if you're here today without Jesus Christ, pray that the blinders will come off and you'll see the truth because when you realize what Jesus has done, you see the truth. The third thing you'll notice is that Jesus brought it. All of the events and circumstances described in the Old Testament were looking forward to the time when God would send a redeemer. In Galatians 4.4, it says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. In other words, he kept it all. He never sinned. I don't go to many, in fact, I can count on one hand the number of R-rated movies that I've gone to. Most of them have been war movies. One of those was Saving Private Ryan. Back in 1998, Steven Spielberg directed this portrayal of the Normandy invasion on D-Day. And some, we just had D-Day recently, or celebrated it, or, or acknowledged it. Well, the plot of that movie was based on a true story of four brothers who all from Pennsylvania who were all killed in the Civil War. So really, Saving Private Ryan is not anything like the original, but that inspired this story of four brothers who were in World War II and three of them had been killed. And so the military leaders decided they needed to, to call out Private Ryan, who was the last remaining brother, and send him home so that that family would not suffer all four of their sons being killed. And so Tom Hanks played John Miller, who was a captain that was behind a six-man squad that was going to go in and save uh, Private James Ryan. And, that, and Ryan was played by Matt Damon. 
Well, the squad finally finds Private Ryan and soon after they're attacked by Germans and the captain, John Miller, is mortally wounded. And as he's dying, he grabs Private Ryan by the shirt and he says these words, earn this, earn this. Earlier in the movie, Private excuse me, John Miller, played by Hanks, they weren't thrilled about having to look for, for Private Ryan, and he says, he better be worth it. He better go home and cure a disease or invent a longer-lasting light bulb. Well, then he grabs Ryan, and when he's morally wounded, he says, earn this and earn this. And then the scene shifts to the present day, and you see an aged private, or not private, but James Ryan standing at the grave, the marker of John Miller. And he's crying, And he says these words, every day I think about what you said to me that day on that bridge. And I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that it was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. Of course, the film made us all appreciate the dedication and sacrifices of our World War II vets. But the movie could also be a parable about how people relate to salvation. Because up in verse four of Galatians one, it says that we are the objects of a rescue mission, that God came behind enemy lines to rescue us, to deliver us from Satan's power and sin's grip on our life. And a lot of people or like Private Ryan who are having to say, I've got to earn this. But folks, I want to tell you something. When Jesus died on the cross, his last words were not earn this. They were, it is finished. It's not what you do that brings you to Christ. It's what he did that gives us salvation. I like what Professor Jack Gorman, Dr. Jack Gorman, when I was in seminary, he used to say legalism is like putting a sign on the cross that says necessary but not enough. Well, I want you to know the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was more than enough for us to be saved. And so finally, God thought it, Satan fought it, Jesus brought it, and faith caught it. How are you saved? Only through faith. You don't earn it. You don't get it by joining the church. You don't get it by being sprinkled or baptized as a baby. You don't. I've had people say, well, I was baptized. My parents had me baptized as a baby. No. Well, they may have had you dedicated, but that's about all it amounted to. That does not save you. Faith. You are saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 states, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, trust. And this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. You can't do anything to be more saved than you are right now through Jesus Christ. And you can't do anything 
to make God love you more than he already loves you through Jesus Christ. There's freedom. Galatians is all about freedom. Quit trying to earn it. God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you. I don't think you got it yet. God's forgiven you. He's still forgiving you. God has saved you through Jesus Christ. You're still being saved through Jesus Christ. You will be saved through Jesus Christ. We're the only people on earth to have that. Christians. Some of you today may be of another religion or another denomination or whatever, but if you've never come to the place where you realize Jesus is the only way to be saved through God's grace, then, then I've got some good news for you. This is the real gospel. You can be saved today. Repentance. You turn from your sin. You see, when you come to Christ, you don't stay the same. You turn from your sin. I'm coming to you, God. I ask you to forgive me. I know I'm separated from you. I have no hope without you. I'm doomed without you. I'm going to hell without you. And I ask you to forgive me because I believe not only here, but I believe here that Jesus came and lived a sinless life, died on that cross, rose again. He's seated at the right hand of you, the Father, and I place my faith and trust in you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so right now, Lord Jesus, I give you my life, and I ask you to come into my life and save me. What are you waiting for? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I pray for those right now who need Jesus Christ as their Savior. Some of them have been religious. Some of them are trying. Some of them may have even walked in this room or turned on that television channel or come to this live stream thinking, maybe I can find some hope and peace. Lord, I pray you'll just show them that Jesus paid it all. And they can be saved today through faith and trust. I ask you, Lord, right now to draw them to you, to speak to their heart, to let them know they need you as their Savior. Lord, I pray for the Christians in this room. Thank you for the freedom we have in you. I know that the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us into sin and to do things that are contrary to your word, but, but Lord, we do it because the Holy Spirit leads us and we love you and we want to live for you. So I pray you would deliver people from the bondage of legalism or no matter what they've been taught. It's not ritual. It's, it's freedom in you and Jesus Christ. I pray for people who need a church. If this is the place, you bring them right here. I pray for those that need to be baptized like these this morning that have been. Lord, please save people. There are so many people who are just lost, literally lost. They don't, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. I pray you bring them to you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555 
You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.